0: Well, good morning. If you're new to Faith Bible Church, I'm Pastor Steve. It's great to be with you today and and just to open up God's Word with you. We are in a series in the book of Amos. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Amos. If you're not quite sure where to find that, it's not. we don't often go there. Feel free to look it up in the front of your Bible and get a page number for Amos. We are today... In chapter 5 of Amos, and we will be looking at verses 18 through 27. As we open our series, one of the first things that we noted about the Amos, about Amos is that there is a unifying theme through the book, and that theme is right here, justice is important to God. Justice is important to God. Uh, We live in an era today when people talk a lot about justice, especially within the context of civil rights. But justice was not founded, the concept of justice is not founded just within a civil rights movement. It goes all the way back to the heart of God himself. Justice is important to God. And if it's important to God... It needs to be important to us as His people. And one of the things we noted last week in Amos chapter 5 verses 1 through 17 is that God does not necessarily wait until the final judgment in order to bring justice. It certainly will happen at the end of the era that we now live in, at the end of time on this earth God will bring justice but we noted that sometimes God breaks through history and brings justice now in fact in chapter 5 verses 1 through 17 that is what Amos was telling the people of Israel God called Amos to be his mouthpiece to be a prophet And Amos went to the northern tribes of the people of Israel and gave them a message from God that God's discipline was coming. And it is coming for sure. Therefore, they need to seek Him. And we saw last week that to seek God meant more than to just go to a worship service. To Amos... To seek God meant to make things right. To stop treating people unfairly. To stop taking advantage of others. Well, today in chapter 5, verses 18 through 27, we're going to see a very parallel message in this fourth sermon, if you will, by Amos. That Amos is still telling Israel... Judgment's coming. Discipline is coming. And they need to repent. They need to turn from that. And today, Amos is going to flesh out for us what God meant when he said that he was not seeking their worship. Because today... Amos shares a word from the Lord that God is displeased with Israel's worship because their worship is empty. Now, we're going to note this week a similar pattern that we saw last week, and that is the fact that sometimes the Old Testament authors, either in the Psalms or sometimes in the Prophets, used parallelism of thought to make a point. And we see this again this week. The section is going to open up with an announcement of justice in 18 and 20, but it's also going to close with an announcement of justice in verse 27. Then Amos is going to bring an accusation in verses 21 and 22. He's going to tell Israel, you have been involved in empty worship. Hypocritical worship. He also says that in verses 25 and 26. And then at the very heart of the passage, in verses 23 and 24, Amos is going to call Israel to repentance. So I'm going to read the passage in its entirety. You can follow along in your copy of the scriptures, starting in Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Alas, or many of your translations say, "Whoa." You are longing for the day of the Lord. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? I hate I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for forty years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Siketh, your king, and Kian, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Here we find Amos sharing a word from the Lord to the people of Israel, telling them, you are bringing me your worship but i hate it sometimes people are kind of hard to read and we don't really quite know where they're coming from what they like what they don't like that's not me in fact in the office we kind of joke around i always i have this running list of pet peeves and i tell jenny our admin You better add this to the list. This is something else that bugs me. The list is getting really long. (laughs) But there's a few things that I hate. I hate taking returns to stores. I mean, I abhor it. We have a rule in our house. If there needs to be something returned to a store, I don't even want to know about it. Don't even tell me about it. Just do it. I hate doing store returns. I don't know why. I just hate that. I hate stores with potpourri. Absolutely despised. If you go to a store and there's bowls of potpourri and scented candles, I'm out of there. I will not stay. There's no way. I'm out of there. If you want me to shop at your store, lose the potpourri and the scented candles. Otherwise, I'm gone. The third thing on my list, my mental list of hates right now, is stewed tomatoes. I hate stewed tomatoes. If you've ever been subjected to the horror of stewed tomatoes, it's basically big globs of hot tomatoes with no seasoning or very little seasoning, and then big chunks of white bread dunked into the hot... Chunks of stewed tomatoes. And the bread is all soggy. And so you're supposed to eat this soggy white bread with hot tomatoes. It is just grotesque. I can't stand stewed tomatoes. You want to know what I really think? No, I hate them. And before we were married, I told my wife, Whatever you do, no stewed tomatoes. After 34 years, not once... Has she ever served me stewed tomatoes? Because when I say I hate something, she kind of pays attention. Well, you know what? There's very few places in the Bible where God says that he hates something, but one of those is right here in Amos 5. And God doesn't say that he hates things very often, but when he does... We need to really kind of pay attention to that, right? And what he's going to say that he hates today in Amos 5 is empty worship. And we're going to unpack that and talk about what empty worship is. We're also going to talk about true worship. And one of the things that we're going to see is that true acts of worship must come from prepared hearts. You see, Israel is just going through the motions. They really are not cognizant of their own lives. They're just going through the motions of worship. They're not preparing their hearts. And God says, I hate that. In fact, he hates it so much that he tells them here in Amos 5 verses 18 through 22 and 25 through 27 that he's going to discipline them for it. And so we find here a challenge, a challenge that was just as appropriate for Israel 2,750 years ago as it is appropriate for us today that we need to prepare our hearts for worship. Now, the section begins in verse 18 of Amos 5 with the word woe. In my New American Standard it says alas. But really, some of your translations have woe. That's really a good translation of that Hebrew word. Woe! It's, it's a word that's sometimes used in funeral messages. Like... This is some really heavy stuff that's going to come now. Whoa, Israel! You're longing for the day of the Lord. Now, remember when we went through our study in the book of Joel, that the day of the Lord can happen multiple times. Sometimes, whenever God would break through, sometimes the prophets would refer to that as the day of the Lord. There is a final day of the lord that the scriptures point toward which has both within it judgment and blessing the judgment comes in what we refer to as the tribulation that time from when the church is caught up to meet with jesus and then 7 years go by and then christ comes back to earth and sets up the kingdom that's the judgment portion of the day of the lord and then the blessing portion of the day of the lord comes in the kingdom But sometimes the Old Testament prophets referred to God breaking through in discipline as the day of the Lord. And what Amos is saying is there's a day of the Lord coming for you right now. Now Israel is thinking about the blessing of the future day of the Lord. They're thinking about that fact that God's word does promise that he's going to bless Israel in the day of the Lord. And they think, hey, we're already blessed. They are in a period of political peace. They are wealthy, beyond wealthy. Everything's going great. They think, hey, we're already being blessed by the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes, the blessing's even going to be greater. For example, passages... Like Isaiah chapter 24 verses 21 through 23 or Joel chapter 3 talk about the blessings of the day of the Lord. But here Amos says, that's not what's in store for you right now, Israel. Listen up verse 18, Israel. What person, what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. Down in verse 20 it says, Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? And by the way, Israel, this is going to come. It is sure. Look at verse 19. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, Or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. That's how sure this is going to be. So Amos' point is this you talk about a bad day. Guy coming home from work, and what happens to him? He gets chased by a lion. Isn't this cool? And then he somehow gets away from the lion and he gets attacked by a bear. Now that's a bad day, right? So you can picture this guy. He's been chased by a lion. He's been attacked by a bear. He finally gets home and tells his wife everything that's happened to him. Only to lean up against the wall and get bit by a snake. I told the guys up in the booth not to leave this up too long. It may cause nightmares. Amos' point, this is going to happen. This is sure. Why? Why is God sending this discipline to Israel? Well, he unpacks that for us in verses 21 and 22. And verses 25 through 27. And he starts out by saying that he hates something. He hates Israel's worship right now. He says, I hate, I reject your festivals. Now, there's something going on here in verse 10 that for those original hearers of this message and those who originally would have read it, they would have seen it right away. Because Amos is repeating a word from verse 10. In verse 10, the Lord tells Israel that they hate justice. Look at verse 10. They hate him who reproves in the gate. Meaning they hate the arbitrator. They hate the fair judge who rules at the gate like Israel's courts. They hate it when justice takes place. Now what the Lord does is He uses that same exact Hebrew word. And so this is what He's saying. You, Israel, hate justice. Oh, by the way, I hate your worship. Now that's strong. Very rarely does God in His Word say, I hate something. But He says, I hate your worship. And when God says something like that, We need to hear it. What does he hate about Israel's worship? Well, let's keep looking. I hate, I reject your festivals, those pilgrimages where that Israel made three times a year to the place of worship. Nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Literally, the Hebrew word that's translated delight here is a word that refers to a soothing aroma. And that's important because of what he's about to say in verse 22. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. So here's how this ties together. If you go to the book of Leviticus, in the first chapters of Leviticus, we see that the whole burnt offering... The grain offering, the minka, and the peace offering are all considered sweet smelling offerings. Those were offerings that the worshiper would bring to the Lord, celebrating being at peace with Him. And they were considered sweet savor offerings, meaning is that sacrifice was offered on that altar and the flame came up underneath the altar. That aroma would be sweet smelling to the Lord. You ever come home from work and one of your neighbors has the grill going and you're starved and you get out of your vehicle and oh man, somebody's grilling. He's just like, Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> well, that's that sweet smelling savor to the Lord. That's what he he loves it when his worshipers would come and celebrate being at peace with him. The burnt offering was a special offering. When a Hebrew worshiper would come to the tabernacle, later the temple, to worship, in order to enter into the outer courts of the tabernacle and the temple, in order to join with the congregation to praise him and hear God's word, an animal had to die. Why? Because Israel, in a very real way, Believe that God was present with them in the midst of the tabernacle and later in the temple. And we know at the end, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, God literally took up residence in the tabernacle and the temple. He's omnipresent, but His presence was there. So for a sinner like you and me to enter into His presence, something had to be done about their sin. So what the Hebrew worshiper would do is lay his hand on the head of that sacrifice and then that sacrifice would be killed and the whole thing would be laid on the altar. And as that whole sacrifice was consumed by the fire, it told the worshiper, yes, God accepted that sacrifice so that I can enter into his presence. The, book, the author of the book of Hebrews takes up this image when he talks about the fact that the Hebrew worshippers had to offer sacrifices over and over and over again for their sin. But we have a sacrifice once for all. Jesus who died for us. The perfect sacrifice so that we can be in right relationship with God. So that Old Testament Holborn offering actually foreshadowed what Jesus would do for us. It was an offering saying, Yes, I'm at peace with God, and now I can enter His presence. Immediately following the whole burnt offering was the grain offering. Hebrew word is minka. And the grain offering was offered to God because God had just accepted the worshiper in the worship. An innocent life had to die so that that worshiper could even enter God's presence. So now the grain offering was saying, I'm yours. I'm consecrated before you. I belong to you because you have paid for me with an innocent life. Very similar to what we would look at in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, uh, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice before the Lord. And then God says to them, and I won't even think about accepting your peace offerings. The peace offering was a unique offering because the worshiper would bring the animal to the priest... And just the entrails and the fat would be offered to the Lord on the altar to be completely consumed. That was considered the best part. And then the rest of the meat would be prepared and shared in a communal meal with all of those who are worshipping at the same time. Celebrating being at peace with God, but being at peace with each other. Very similar to our observance of the Lord's table, foreshadowing that that observance of the Lord's table. And here God says, this is a sham. You're coming to me with sweet-smelling offerings, celebrating being at peace with me, even though we're going to see in verses 26 and 27 that they have idols they're worshiping. And you're celebrating that you're peace at peace with each other, and yet uh, you're hurting your you're hurting your fellow Israelites. As we saw last week, they're taking them to court. They're cheating them out of their ground. They're making them pay high grain uh, portions of their crops just to stay on their own land. It's empty. It's empty. In fact, down in verses twenty. Five through twenty-seven, we read that Israel is carrying along Sikkith and Tiyeh. Those are Mesopotamian gods. Uh, scholars believe connected to worship of the stars. So here, God is saying, "You're you are coming to worship, saying that everything is okay, and yet you're hurting your fellow Israelites." And you actually are worshiping other gods. And what's God to say about it? I hate it. I hate it. Yesterday morning was kind of a yucky Saturday morning, wasn't it? It was just like, what do you do on a morning like that? I can't hunt yet. My wife was at the Faith Bible Church women's retreat. Normally we go out for coffee. We couldn't go out for coffee. I couldn't work outside. What do I do? So I decided to shred stuff. I was way behind in getting rid of old documents. I mean, I was I was shredding stuff from 2004. And so, I shredded so much stuff that I had to let my shredder cool down, and I filled an entire garbage bag full of shredded stuff. I even brought some to the office to do a little shredding here because I shredded beyond my shredder's shredding capability. (laughs) Once I was done shredding, then I took everything earlier than 2017 and I put it into bundles with labels that clearly uh, marked these are the years from 2016 back to my shred point. And then I took some twine. And without thinking, I tied those bundles in perfect, with perfect knots that I learned clear back in college. My last two and a half years of college, I worked at a corrugated paper factory called Omaha Box Company. And one of the things I did day after day after day after day was stand at the end of a conveyor belt with a box of twine with a little knife that looked like a ring on this hand. And I took that twine, I went over the back corner, around, up, did a twist, pulled it tight, boom, and I'm out. I could do it in about two seconds. I did that thousands of times. Guess what? Yesterday, when I was bundling 2016 back to my shred point, I didn't even have to think about how to tie those bundles. It was just... Natural, because I had learned it. It was alert, it was just by rote I did it. I could just, I can do it in my sleep. In fact, I've had dreams about tying boxes. I mean, I, it just, it just, it just came to me. And that's what Israel's doing. They're going through the motions of worship and they're not even thinking about it because they've done it so much. And they're not even aware Of where their hearts are. They're they're bringing these sacrifices. Celebrating that they're all at peace with God. And yet at the same time they're worshipping pagan gods. They're bringing these sacrifices. Saying that they're at peace with their fellow Israelites. And yet they're hurting their, their own Israelite brothers and sisters. Taking advantage of them. And God says I hate that. I hate it. It's not that God doesn't want worship. He created us to be his worshipers. And it's not that we are not called to worship him as well. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look at this passage twice. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, says this. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So we don't bring a goat or a bull anymore to be sacrificed, but we still have a sacrifice that is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. That's our praise. That's why one of the things that we do here at Faith Bible Church on Sunday mornings is we sing Words to the Lord that talk about who he is that lift him up above ourselves that is just as important as what we're doing right now because we are praising him he views that as a sweet smelling aroma rising to him but just as is true of Israel 2750 years ago is true of us today that only is a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord if it's done from the right heart Meaning we have to prepare for worship. We don't prepare for worship five minutes before we come to the worship service. We prepare for worship all week long. And one of the things that's important for us to do is to make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord Monday through Saturday. One... one. Very important prayer for us to pray is to continually come before the Lord and just say to Him, Father, please show me if there's sin in my heart that I'm not dealing with. Please show me that by your Holy Spirit. Aren't we thankful that when we first become a Christian, God does not reveal to us all of our sin. When we first become a Christian, meaning in that point where we first Believe that yes, I'm a sinner and I can't fix it. And I believe that Jesus is God who died for me and rose again from the dead. And when I put my trust in Him, putting my dependence on Him, that He is my only bridge to God, When I put my trust in Him, I become a Christian. At that point, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 tells us the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, and He starts doing a work in us. And one of the works that He does is convicts us of sin. But He doesn't show us all of our sin all at once. We couldn't handle it. Usually what we first start seeing is outward stuff. Oh man, I've got to stop swearing. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop doing this. But then the longer we are a Christian... He starts showing us the sin of our hearts. The sin behind the outward sin. And we realize, how, we realize how desperately sick our hearts are. And that we need the empowerment of the Spirit of God just to live for Him. And one of the prayers that we should pray is, Lord, just help me see if there's areas of sin that, that I need to confess to you. The second thing we need to do is actually confess it. One of the great lies that comes from the pit of hell is lies like this. Well, I I shouldn't confess my sin yet because it's not been that long ago since I confessed it before. And so now I just need to wait a while before I confess it now. And maybe I'll feel worse about it. So I shouldn't confess it yet. Confessing sin is simply, the word means to say the same thing about it that God thinks about it. At the moment I become aware that I've sinned against God, the first thing that I should do is come to Him in prayer and say, God, I have sinned against you. Regardless if I, if, if I've sinned against my brother or sister in Christ and I'm angry toward them, even if I still feel anger in my heart, I still need to come. I, I shouldn't wait till I don't feel angry anymore. That may not come apart from the Spirit's help. I need to confess it now and say the same thing to, about it that God thinks about it. Father, I've I've sinned. Please cleanse me and forgive me for that sin. We've got to prepare our hearts for worship. By asking him, by responding to him, when he brings conviction to our hearts of sin in our lives, that's what Israel wasn't doing. The second thing that Israel wasn't doing was doing right, and that's actually the center of this passage in verses verses twenty three and twenty four. There's a negative here and a positive. The negative is, stop bringing me empty worship. Verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your songs, not even listen to the sound of your hearts. Why? Their hearts were far from Him. Verse 24 is the positive. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Every believer needs to avoid empty worship, but rather... Do justice. Do what is right. Do what is good. Verse 24 is the most famous verse in the book of Amos. And the reason why it's so famous is on August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King quoted this verse in his I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. You can Google it and you can listen to Martin Luther King Proclaim, and let justice roll like the mighty flowing streams or rivers. He quotes this verse. But justice did not, the concept of justice, justice did not begin with the civil rights movement. It goes all the way back to the heart of God. And God is saying to Israel, if you're going to come to me in worship, prepare your hearts, get rid of these idols. And we don't probably have a, a star that we worship today, but anything that takes God's place in our hearts is an idol. If I am looking for peace in my life in something or someone other than God, that's become my idol. If I'm looking for security in my life in something or someone other than God, that thing or that person's become an idol. And so, those are the things we have to confess. But here, Amos is saying, also, if we want to be right before God, we've got to stop doing injustice. Israel, stop treating people unfairly. Stop taking advantage of people. Do what's good. I want to go back to Hebrews 13. This is fascinating to me. Hebrews 13, we read verse 15... I'll read it again. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And, verse 16, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Is that cool or what? When I I looked at that, this is so... So neat, because it's the same exact message as Amos 5. He's saying, yes, we need to worship God, and we need to do it with praise, but worship is also a sacrifice of doing the right thing. Doing good. Verse 16 again, "...don't neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased." Do justice. I mentioned this a few months ago, but this last fall, the pastors here at Faith Bible Church went up to Camp Forest Springs and heard Dr. Joe Stoll um, preach for like five sessions. It was fantastic. Only like seventy people there, and Dr. Stoll was the longtime president at Moody Bible Institute. Now he's at a school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And one of the things that impressed me about Dr. Stoll is that he has made a commitment to every day do an act of goodness. Every day. Every day, do something good for someone. And he said, that's more difficult than you might think. He said, you have to be intentional about it. Two years ago, about this week, uh, I was heading out for an early morning duck hunt. It was 4.15 in the morning. I had gotten up at quarter to four. And so as not to totally disrupt my wife's sleep, even though by quarter to four, she should probably up and start working already. (laughs) Joking. Um, I take all of my clothes and I put them in the garage and I lay them up on top of my pickup and my license and my billfold and my watch and my phone. Everything's on the pickup. Well, that particular morning, I must have been a little bit groggy because I went out to the garage, I got dressed, I got on my pickup, drove about two and a half miles only to realize that I had left my billfold on the hood of my pickup and it wasn't there anymore. I was panicky. My license was there. My hunting license was there. I had a bunch of cash because I had to pay one of my hunting buddies some money for ammunition. So I quickly drove all the way back to my house and back again looking for my license. I went and told my buddy, I can't duck hunt today. I went and parked my pickup and I got two different flashlights, one for my head, one for my hand, and I walked the two and a half miles and walked the two and a half miles back. By that time, the sun's up. I walked the two and a half miles. I walked the two and a half miles back a second time. And I was intentional. I was down on my knees sometimes pulling grass apart. I was taking sticks and moving stuff. I was looking under everything. I was totally intentional. If somebody would have driven by and said, hey, there's a guy out there. I think he's looking for something. They would have known I was looking for something because I was intentional. I was searching for it. By the way, I never found it. I think some saw it in the middle of the road and took my cash and drove off. But someday he'll answer for it to the Lord. You know, to do good. To do justice. Sometimes we can think, hey, I'm just like one person. How am I supposed to do just? How am I supposed to do what's right? I'm one guy. You're one guy. You're one girl. Yeah, And we can do it as one person. We can be intentional about doing what is right. Doing acts of goodness when we have opportunity. And God in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16 says, that's a sacrifice that he loves to smell. You see, God wants our worship. But he wants it from hearts that are yielded to him. From men and women and boys and girls who are doing right, who are doing good in the lives of others. Father, we thank you for this passage. And how it's just as needed and applicable to us today as it was 2,750 years ago. And your word is true. You say in, in Amos 5 that you're going to take them captive beyond Damascus and in 722 BC the Assyrians came in and took these people. It was sure. Just like you promised to discipline us when our hearts aren't right. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts willing to come to you on on Monday through Saturday and say, Father, show me areas I need to confess before you. And you'll do it so that we can be worshipers from a pure heart, men and women and boys and girls who do good. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.